All right, welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You're listening to episode 166 of The Matinee Cast. It's your movie-loving podcast at my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca, your home for cinematic passion and perspective. Today, we welcome back a dear friend to the show. And uh, it's it's kind of funny because we're, we're many, many years into this little movie-going, broken social scene here in Toronto, and people come and people go, and you meet new people. But the, the thing I notice is that you, you never kind of lose your, your crazy connections with the people who you don't necessarily see. Arguments can just ensue. Just the moment you see somebody again, or, or you know, on the other side of the coin, it can be kind of like a reunion. Kind of like, hey, how you doing? It's been so long, and you just fall into the old routines. And, that's uh, that's something kind of cool. I think that we're we're discovering in this new century and how we stay connected, even if we're not, you know, in the same room anymore. Like you can you can still kind of keep up with what people are doing as long as they want to stay on the grid. And I and I, and I say that with with a, with a clear eye at today's guest because he's gone off the grid now and then. But that's okay. We love him very very much because he is the producer of the Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso podcast. I need a producer. I just want to sit here and record this shit. I don't want to fuss with it. I, don't, I barely even want to post it. I just want to talk and hand, and say here. Yeah. Are you for hire? No. Oh. I mean, if you oh, well, sorry. Oh. Maybe if you're gonna pay me, <laughs> if you're gonna pay me for hire, ten dollars well, yeah. and a coffee. Yeah. No, oh. that's not enough. That's, that's not nearly enough. He's also a contributing writer at Esquire, at Fandor, and Pacific Standard, where you can find various pieces on various topics um, across the. Um, across the world. Corey Tad is back here. How you doing, man? Doing all right. You're, you know, you're a little bit more bearded than yeah, last so time I saw yeah, you. Yeah, I think we did this last year. I didn't have the beard at that point. Or maybe like, I no, did. it's it's been it's been a while since we've done this. We'll get there in a second, but uh, mm-hmm. it, it, like hey, listen, it's getting cold. So if nothing else, you can always uh, yeah, yeah. claim the beard. No, the just... reason I say is cuz I've had it for about a year. So... Oh, really? Is it been that yeah. long? Yeah. Oh, so God. we must have podcasted a while back. Oh, yeah. 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 You, you like you know, you've always been whiskered, but but it's I, I kind of feel like I Well, that was only because I was really lazy about shaving. Oh, okay. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I wish this was a visual medium. I really do. On episode 166, we will be talking about Moonlight. We'll be flipping the record over to play the other side. But first, we need to learn more about Corey. This is Know Your Enemy. Corey first appeared on episode 65, where we talked about the remake of Total Recall. We learned on that episode, yeah, guy, he's shaking his head. We learned at that time that the first episode he'd ever seen was Ace Ventura when he drew calls. First movie. First movie in a theater. Sure. Yeah. Well, that, that was your answer, so that's what... I've since been told it's The Jungle Book, but I don't remember having seen that. Yeah, so. no, I, I don't count that. Yeah. Uh, the last film he'd seen at the time was Punch Drunk Love. The worst movie he claimed at the time was Across the Universe. I would reckon that that's changed in the time since then. I don't know. The unseen classic or essential was Tokyo Story, which he has since seen, and the film he'd wish he'd made was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm-hmm. Corey returned for episode 99, The Broken Circle Breakdown. Uh, we learned the film he likes that nobody else does to the surprise of no one was warhorse the film everybody else digs that he does not is playtime the film at the last the last film to make him cry was lucky star uh in the movie of his life he was played by toby Maguire. and the next thing he was watching was um something by frank rosegi Rosegi. you got like a box set or something yeah, like frank, oh, i'm probably gonna pull something frank, out of frank borzegi borzegi yeah 
great, so, something by great him. old silent director. I, 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 I've never cracked that seal. I think I, you, think you, I gotta, need, you need to watch his I, movies. I, I do. Yeah. Round three, sir. What is the film and interpret this question any way you wish mm. that made your love of film turn a corner? It's gotta be air bud. <laughs> oh, see, no, it's too no, early no. in the show to start messing with it's, me. This is a joke. My usual answer to this is, is, um, fellowship of the ring. Okay. Or just that series generally, but especially that first movie. Okay. Um, in part because, I mean, I was already like, I mean, I've been into movies mm-hmm. as long as I can remember, but that, that was one, um, where I saw it and I was like, I need to understand everything about this. Hmm. And I bought the extended edition DVDs and I watched like every scoured, every bit of it, how they made it. And like that, it kind of like crystallized that, that thing of like, kind of going in deep was so that was one like all of a sudden you wanted to learn about like the craft well it wasn't all of a sudden because you not know, all of there, a sudden but that was that the, was one where it kind of got like you said like crystallized I'll, I'll put it this way there had been other stuff i mean dvd was fairly new at that point yeah. still yeah. like 2001 2002 i guess um i think we got our first dvd player that year mm-hmm. or maybe the year before but like I remember there were a few movies, you know, like The Matrix had that that documentary. What was it called? Oh, um, yeah, Matrix Revisited. Yeah, yeah, and you know stuff like that. Or even like I got the Shrek DVD and like seeing how they did all the animation. So that that kind of thing, like, you know, it's like slowly weeding you in, and then you see Fellowship of the Ring, and you're just like, how the hell did they make this thing? Right. Like, how did they do this? Right. And then you hear like, there's going to be a DVD that has like a bajillion hours of features and you're like, well, I'm going to watch every second of those. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but yeah, but, but seriously, but before that you weren't, you weren't as interested in the nuts and bolts or just, it was no, just I, something I, that was there. I that... think, I think it was, that's what I mean by like it crystallized it because like as far back as I remember, I remember being a, a little kid and, you know, being excited by E.T. and Steven Spielberg movies right. and I knew who Steven Spielberg was and I was maybe like five years old or something. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, I always had that there, um, but like, let's say, cementing it was yeah. was huh. that period. It's it's funny because um, you know the, the the so first of all, like thinking right now about the fact that like putting aside the fact that I I buy less physical media than I yeah. ever did before, um, I also think about how when I do buy them, I don't really go into what else is on the package. Not like I used to complain that there were no features. Now I'm like, eh, I'm not watching the features. Yeah, I don't, I don't hear, hear which, I, which I think is sad because I do, hear, I do care about this I, stuff. I, I, I just feel like at this point I've seen so many that I generally know how it's done. And especially these days when, I mean, most of what you're going to get is like, Oh, that was also done on a computer. Yeah. You know, like it's like, okay, you know, I, I don't really care as much anymore. Um, here and there I'll, I'll dig into something, you yeah. know, but it, it, it's, it's pretty rare. I think, you know, given who I'm married to, I'm always curious to, to learn about the editing of a, of a film. Yeah, um, half the time that's not in, in those features. Do you know yeah, what I mean? A, so a really like, good one will have it. Like, uh, for, for a while there, David Fincher's movies mm, were have it. Well, had, had his movies, he's got a DVD. I'm watching the features on that. I was very disappointed when Gone Girl didn't really have any features, although it has, an incredible audio commentary. Yeah. Um, Doesn't he give it a phone number like right at the beginning or something? He 
Oh, he I gives out remember. like Regency's phone number or something. I don't know, but he starts off talking about like the logos, like yeah. and how like great and or shitty they are. <laughs> Sorry, I was no, 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 you're good. Um, yeah, so that, anyway, that's that's that one. Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, what was your first date movie? So this is one when I saw this, I really don't remember, which is weird because you would think that I would. So I had to kind of take a guess of the time period, and I feel like I'm still wrong on this, but it might have been Pirates. But I feel like there was there had to have been one or two earlier. Um, For anybody listening at home, Corey no. is really young. Yeah, I suppose. Um, so no, no, no. just well, like I really need to, because I feel like we've just we just tapped on two movies that aren't that old in the grand scheme of things. Right. Granted, they are. You are talking about a movie that with Fellowship of two thousand and one, of course, yeah. and with Pirates now two thousand three. It in my mind doesn't seem that long ago, but in it's reality, pretty, pretty long was, time ago now. Yeah. But please continue. No, nothing. I mean, I, I just remember I saw that uh, with somebody at the time, but I don't, I feel like there was, there was at least one or two that are earlier than that, but that's okay. the earliest that's the one, one that, that I, that's out? the one that I remember. Okay. So why does that one stick out? I mean, cause the movie's great. Oh, nothing about the date. No, uh, but to be honest. <laughs> you romantic bastard. To, to be honest, most times that like I'll remember the circumstances in which I saw a movie mm-hmm. more because I remember the movie. Do you know what I mean? So it's like everything surrounds the movie yeah, rather okay. than like, you know, I mean, I'll remember who was with me, but what I'm really remembering is the movie. Interesting. Um, I, I struggle with that sometimes. Like there are occasions in my life where I can remember, I remember the day and things that happened either before, after or during more than I remember the movie. The movie's just kind of a footnote. It's like, well, oh, on the day that this happened, we went and saw right. Moulin so Rouge. I'll, you know. I'll clarify. I sometimes don't remember the details of the movie itself, but I'll remember the that circumstances. Was, yeah. So I'll remember, for example, that Pirates was – that was the second time that I saw it. And I think I saw it three – I'm pretty sure I saw it three times in theaters, okay. which that like – Never was happens. one of the first movies that I did that for. Oh, okay. Um, and so there, like, there's certain things like that where I'll remember. There are certain cases like I remember I saw 500 Days of Summer on a date. Yeah. You know, and then I remember going to see it again. At a different, I remember where I saw it, and I remember those those kinds of details. But mm-hmm. like the 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 actual like specifics of it, I don't know. Yeah. Pirates is memorable because it was. Do you remember the girl's name? Yeah, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> She's not listening. Well, true. Um, all right, moving along. Uh, what is your sick day movie? Uh, Star Trek. The 2009? Yes. Why that one? Because it's the best movie. Uh, I just saw it actually two days ago at the Lightbox. Were you sick? Was I sick? Yeah. When? Well, it's, it's your, oh, it's, it's your sick day uh, movie. No. Uh, <laughs> may, well, maybe I'm sick for having gone to see it. You know, even though I've seen it many times. Um, no, no, no. That, that that is never a sick thing to claim. But it's, go on. Uh, it's just a. It's a great, like, fun. I don't know. To me, like, I don't have this. You know, some people have a movie that's like, oh, I'm sick, so I want to watch something that makes me feel whatever. No, I'm sick, so I'm stuck at home, and I'm sick, so I don't want to put on something that's like too heavy mm-hmm. to, that I have to think about and like feel whatever about. So I'm going to put on Star Trek because it's just the best movie it's hmm. just so fun i i don't know why but i have i have problems like reconciling you with digging star trek for some reason like i i would have thought that that was one of those movies that you uh, you wouldn't have dug or you wouldn't have liked either the writing of it or the execution of it it, no, it, never, struck, fact, it never struck me as your beat well, first of all i'm a big jj fan 
Okay. Uh, but also, I was just talking, I was out with, with people, we went and saw it on, on Friday with some other, you know, Star Trek 2009 super fans. Yeah. And we were talking about like, you know, people sometimes complain about that script. That is a perfect script. Oh, yeah. That script is like, works like clockwork, great dialogue, the character moments are just all there and not always in like the most expected places. That's it, It's just an endlessly entertaining, great movie. Mm. Like, you know, when I'm looking for a great movie that's yeah. fun, yeah, yeah. that's the movie. And, and that's and that's how yeah. you want to feel on a day where you're homesick. I mean, yeah, why yeah. not? No, yeah. I, I don't play. Hey, listen, it was on, the last time I saw it was on uh, like the last week when we were flying home from our vacation. And I just didn't want to plug in because it was one of these planes where the screens were up the middle of the cabin. So I like my eyes would have had to been like mm-hmm. looking at a 15 inch LED mm-hmm. that was like, 10, 10 feet away from me and I just didn't really want to plug in and watch a movie that way but one of the movies they were showing was Star Trek 2009 mm-hmm. one of the things I liked about it was that I could just kind of glance over and I knew what was going on and what they were saying you know what's going on you know what they're saying because yeah. it's memorable yeah. it's visually quite arresting yeah. and it's like it's, just, it's, good. Yeah. it's a great movie All right. good answer good. what was the last film to leave you speechless uh, pr- I Probably Manchester by the Sea. I mean, I don't know what speechless Ooh. means exactly, but in I, any, no, in, when, for but any, when I when I watched that, I needed a minute. You know, like. tell people about it because it's it's a, it's coming up in a month or two, um, and I have seen it, but I feel like a lot of people uh, may not know what it is or wh- yeah. or much about it. Yeah, I mean, it's been picking up stage. It premiered it like a, almost a year ago now at Sundance, right? Yeah. So it's been it's been a while, but it uh, it's the new Kenneth Lonergan movie. Kenneth Lonergan directed. Um, uh, you can count on me and Margaret. And you're and you're deep in the camp of Margaret. Oh yeah, it's a yeah. great movie. And um, so this is his new movie. It stars Casey Affleck as a guy who's like living kind of a crappy existence in uh, in Boston. And then his brother dies, mm-hmm. so he goes back to Manchester by the sea, uh, you know, in, Ma- in Massachusetts to to kind of take care of things the funeral and also the nephew that's been left behind or his nephew that's been left behind um and there's much more to the story and and but it's like it's a a really beautiful often very funny movie mm-hmm. um but also quite uh devastating in places and kind of hits hard you yeah know, it's, a, it's the thing i like about that movie is that it felt very authentic yeah. in in its look and in its location and and in its style um nobody in this town is really rich. don't get me wrong like it's not set in like um it's not a blue collar town it's not yeah. a mining town or a fishing town yeah. but it's it's just one of these little sleepy little kind of corners like not far off of boston yeah where everybody knows everybody and everybody's known everybody for a long time yeah. so there's all this one there's all this history and two you know nobody really seems like they're they're that interested in trying to impress random strangers they're just trying right. to live their lives um so so because of that the whole thing feels very genuine some of the relationship dynamics particularly between uh casey affleck who's like just unbelievably good in the movie yeah um and his nephew um there's a lot there that's complex and often sort of unspoken mm-hmm. uh, in what's going on there and even right up to the ending like the ending is not quite enigmatic but you know it it leaves things in a in a pretty interesting open place yeah um it, it so the, you know that's why it kind of it's like you see that movie 
you know, yeah, I need a minute. I'm, yeah, I, I like there are right now already in my head. There are two moments in that movie that more or less just destroyed me. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you could probably guess which two. Um, I'm really looking forward to people seeing this movie. And I do. I hope it gets attention. I hope it's not one of these movies oh, that just kind of slips. It'll for sure get attention. I never yeah. know, man. There, I've seen lots of movies that were just fantastic that just kind of withered. No, and, this one, I mean, I don't know about box office, but it's going to let, – let's put it this way. We're heading into Oscar season. The movie we're about to talk about is like full swing on that. And yeah. Manchester by the Sea is going to be in that conversation too. For yeah. sure. Uh, last but not least, what's the movie quote that would be your epitaph? Uh, I mean, I don't know if it – is exactly a quote, although it's, spo- <laughs> although it's spoken in the movie. Well, okay, we'll, um, ca- we'll count it. But it, it would just be shot in the back by Buford Tannen over a matter of $80. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I know what that is. Uh, okay, so that's Back to the Future Three. Yeah, uh, <laughs> Doc Brown's gravestone. And, 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 it's and, literally and, his epitaph. Yeah, and, that's, and, like, and, and that's that's what I love about it is that you're you're stealing somebody else's epitaph, and anybody who saw that would be yeah. like, "Wait, what?" But 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 meanwhile, yes, but imagine, anybody who knows you just imagine would get it. if you went to my funeral and you saw the gravestone and it said that on it. Yeah. You you, just, you would just be so happy. I would. I, yeah. I would be happy that 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 I, I that I knew you and that you led a good life <laughs> and that you had such humor that that was what you wanted to and impart that, upon the rest. And that of I us. loved Back to the Future three more than many <laughs> so people. So much. Uh, that is that is a fantastic answer, sir. Well, there we go. That's more about Corey. We'll learn even more about him when he returns in 60 episodes or so um, in two more years with a longer beard. Uh, but for now, it's time for the new slang. The new slang for episode 166 is Moonlight. Hello, stranger. It seems so good to see you back again. How long has it been? Moonlight is directed by Barry Jenkins. It's written by Jenkins along with Terrell McCranny. It stars uh, Travante Rhodes, Mahershala Ali, Janelle Monet, Naomi Harris. Andre Holland and some very talented juvenile actors. Moonlight is the story of Sharon, one boy growing up in Florida. The film is broken into three acts. In the first act, when he's 10, he's being called Little, and he's under the wing of a drug dealer named Juan and his girlfriend Teresa. Act two, where he's going by his given name, we watch his mother, Paula, flame out with drug addiction, and we watch, um, we watch Sharon get into fights at school thanks to many of his classmates being assholes about him being a little different. And finally in Act 3, he's known as Black, a nickname he picked up earlier in the film. He's living in Atlanta and he's rebuilt himself as a hard man and a drug dealer. This act is where he gets a call from an old friend named Kevin and he finds himself going back to Florida where the whole story began. Ordinarily, this is where I try to sound clever and pose a question to my guest uh, to get the conversation started about the film at hand. Today, though, I got nothing. When piecing together this show, Mr. Atad, you and I struggled to come up with films to discuss on the other side because, in your own words, this is a very unique kind of film. So, pop quiz, Hotshot. What is it about Moonlight that makes it so unique? Wrong movie there. I know. Um... What is it that makes it so unique? Uh, you know, it has a lot of the pieces in place of other kinds of movies. Um, you got your coming of age. You got, you know, poverty, black poverty, um, crack addiction, all that stuff. Uh, you've got, it's the story of coming out. Um, or not quite coming out, but sort of 
dealing with uh, with the fact that the characters, the main characters, sexual identity. Uh, sexual identity. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't quite come out, but. Um, uh, so there's that struggle. Um, there are a few other elements in it, but you know, each of those on their own would be kind of their own kind of movie. Mm-hmm. The combination of them, and then the structure of it, and then even the way that it's filmed mm-hmm. um, and scored, and the sound design of it—it's kind of—it's really unlike any movie that that. I can think of. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't mean that in like some exaggerated way. It's like literally I can't quite, I can think of a lot of other coming of age movies. You yeah. know what I mean? I can think of like uh, movies from gay cinema that, that touch on similar themes, but it, none of them quite in the, this combination. No, not like none of them, seriously, none of them arrange the notes on the page in this kind of melody. Mm-hmm. Um, which, which is true because even like, as I said, coming up with other sides for this episode was really difficult. Um, I, I, I thought about other films that I'd watched even for um, I'm doing the 52 films with women project. And that has taken me to films that are close ish in tomboy and pariah, mm-hmm. but even they're not quite, not the quite, same. not quite that. Yeah. Um, I, I think for me, what I really came back with as an answer to my own question is that moonlight the way it combines all of that, it really feels like it's a movie for this time and place, mm. which for film is so hard to do because mm. you're working on things months and years ahead of when it's finally going to get out into the world. So in, in one way, it's kind of a happy accident that it happened this way, that we're having these kinds of conversations uh, about things in this movie and around this movie now, mm-hmm. and it happens to be when it arrives into our lives. And as you say, the way that it goes about all of that, like it's one thing for it to just be about these things on the page and arrive at a moment where they're all really, really um, timely, you know, because we've seen that with with other films um, arriving at a certain moment in time. But you take that and you combine it with a novel execution, not even a novel execution, but just a really intricate and interesting execution. Mm -hmm. And I think that's how you get something that's so unique. Yeah, it it. it's funny because the the movie obviously has to exist in a kind of political context because, you know, it's about um, a black child growing up in Miami-Dade County and, you know, dealing with with uh, kind of the drug scene there and, and, and all of that. But what what kind of is, is uh, uh, really hitting home with it um, – both personally, but then also you can see a lot of the reaction around the movie. It's, it's a lot of hype going on around it. I think it's that the 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 politics of the movie are much more to do with its existence at all. Okay. Do, do, if that makes any sense. Sort of, yeah, yeah. Because the film itself deals with uh, all those issues on such a uh, uh, an intimate personal level the characters don't deal with with politics Mm -hmm. the characters don't deal with those kinds of things uh but those things inform what the characters are dealing with so we're watching them from the outside with all of this other stuff all the other things that we understand about the world that they inhabit Mm -hmm. um and that only helps to 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 bring out of it even more you know when you're looking at a film that ostensibly is about uh um identity and not just uh, black identity or queer identity or, or those, those uh, 
very specific things in every aspect. What is this kid's identity given the way that his mother treats him? Mm -hmm. What's his identity growing up in a sort of hyper-masculine environment where he himself doesn't feel comfortable displaying that? Yeah. Um, sort of e e even, even basic questions of, of given the uh, sort of the drug environment that, that surrounds him, um, you, uh, Mahershala Ali's character, uh, Juan, is this, this drug dealer who kind of takes him under his wing, not, not to sell drugs, but just no, kind of like to, to, just to, as like a father figure. Yeah, just as a father figure. Um, and there's uh, this extraordinary scene where, where um, they have this conversation at, at the table. You probably know the scene that I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, there's the whole early part of that conversation that's like this really incredible moment. But there's also a part where the kid asks Juan, you know, you're a drug dealer? Yeah. And he says, yes. And then, you know, is my mom, my mom does drugs? Like, yeah, you know, you sell my mom drugs? Yeah. And it's one of those moments where you see a collision of identities mm -hmm. where Juan is this, you know, drug dealer, but also a good person. Yeah. And how do you square, how do you, how do you, how do you square, square those kinds of things? Yeah. Um, and the movie passes no strict judgment on any of that. It lets the characters search those things out for themselves. Um, See, the crazy thing that I love about that scene, and, and this, the film does this over and over again, is, you know, the technique of that scene mm -hmm. and, and the way it's shot and the way it's presented. It's, it's very still, very quiet, letting the characters come to every moment on their own. Like, let, like if I didn't know better, I would swear that everybody talking in that scene did not have a script. They mm -hmm. seem to be coming to these things very naturally. They're, they're, they're thinking on them. They're holding their thoughts a little bit longer. Once or twice um, in that moment, Little seems to really kind of grasp for his words. Like you could see the wheels in his head turning yeah. before every question. And same thing with one. You see the wheels in his head turning before every answer because he's saying yeah. – in his head, he's saying, I want to be honest with this kid. Yeah. I want to be the one person in this kid's <laughs> life. Who is square with him? Yeah, there, there's actually, a and great, yet it's really hard. <laughs> there's actually a, the maybe the best moment in that scene is you know the uh, Chiron is basically asking about like wh whether he's gay. Like yeah. that's basically what he's asking, and uh, and Juan is kind of answering in a in an almost surprisingly very uh, sort of affectionate, understanding way. But there's a point where he actually maybe says something a little like too far yeah and then it, yeah, cuts, it cuts to janelle monet looking at him just like no yeah, no yeah she's just shaking just, he said, just leave it here leave it yeah, there yeah, yeah don't go you, for it doing well yeah just keep yeah let there. go yeah you know? so so it really does play it plays around with with what you're saying is the character is sort of uh, uh discovering these things on their own yeah discovering how to deal with this these situations on their own and not always responding to the situations in the best ways no um but just yeah. just to finish the, the thought there, the thing I like about that scene is then we like we're yanked out of that scene almost violently. Like the, the scene ends so viciously abrupt mm -hmm. and not because of any kind of violent act or anything like that. It actually ends very, very peacefully, but it's it's yanked from us and cut to black to get to the next chapter. Right. And it's it's gorgeous because yeah you realize that this is gonna be one of those moments that is just it's gonna like 
be in Little's consciousness for the rest of his life. It's going to be in Juan's consciousness for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, short as that's going to be, because that that that's the other thing. That's it for Juan. Like we're yeah. just he that that cut to black and he's out of this movie. Yeah. And I feel like so many movies wouldn't have the stones to do that. Right. Um, we can't like not to get ahead of ourselves, but we come back to that late in the movie when we have a scene between two men in a diner, and it kind of turns into this very. Um, very, very beautiful conversation where like the song in the jukebox is playing and there's, you know, there's, there's, um, charged looks and there's food and there's wine and then there's a cut and a bell rings and we're kind of like back to reality. And again, it's this violent rip that I, I don't see in film all that often. And the fact that the film can use it so expertly is what makes this just an incredible movie. The structural gambit of the movie is really interesting. Um, how so? in the way that it cuts from one time period to another without really an indication of how much time has passed. Yeah. Um, okay. And, and the things that have happened in between, you don't, you know, here and there you learn a bit about what has happened in between, but you never get a full picture of what's, no, what's going no, you on. Le- you learn in the very broadest strokes. Very, very broad. And, and, and so what that allows for is that at each uh, point in time, this one character is actually three different characters. Yeah. And the, the running thread is whatever his internal struggle is, but his outward um, dealings with the world are different, Mm -hmm. especially between the second and third one. Oh yeah. Um, So, you know, actually it was something, so I, I got, was lucky enough to interview both, Trevante Rhodes and Andre Holland, who played the older uh, characters at the end of the film. Right. Uh, Trevante Rhodes plays the older Chiron. And I kind of was curious, like, when you did, – did you get to act with the uh, the other – or did you get to work with the younger versions of yourself? Okay. Um, you know, to kind of create some through line. Yeah. And he actually said that, no, like, in fact, Barry Jenkins, uh, uh, the director – like categorically like refused to allow that to happen wow. in part because his idea was he didn't want them mimicking each other's style or posture or anything like that. He's like, you know, you have now gone through a whole lifetime of stuff. Yeah. You're a different person. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe what you're dealing with inside is, is the same, but that comes from the script. Yeah. The outward physical attributes of the performance, you know, that, that's something that you need to discover on your own because you're a different person. See, what's incredible about that is that the so most of the final act of this movie is is between Black and Kevin as as grown men, mm-hmm. and it like the, it might be the the entire scene in that diner might be one of the most incredible things I've seen on film in a long, mm-hmm. long time. I have never seen something um, so loving, so warm. Uh, and, and just warm, warm, but also very tense because you're never sure exactly tense. how yeah. it's going to play oh, out. Oh yeah. yeah, like yeah. I, I was, I was, I was kind of, I was really finding myself, especially once they leave the diner. It, it's kind of weird because the diner kind of serves as this little warm, safe space. It was actually when they walked out of the diner that I actually really got worried. Mm-hmm. When they when they walk out of the diner and they go to the car and, and the film ends in Kevin's house. And this isn't really spoilers mm-hmm. um, in any way, shape, or form. But it was once they left that diner mm-hmm. that I felt that I started really feeling worried about what was going to happen. In that in that restaurant, I felt that everything was fine. Yeah. I felt that they were they were catching up and they were, you know, remembering who they were um, and, and kind of 
squaring that with who they are. But it was, I, I, you, I would be surprised. I, and I am surprised to learn that these two men didn't get to see their younger selves mm-hmm. because you see that with them. Well, not, not only that, but they didn't meet until basically just before shooting. Um, so there's a scene where Andre Holland calls up, like uh, Kevin, the older Kevin calls up uh, the, Chiron on, on his cell phone. That was apparently the first time that they'd even spoken. Huh. Um, wow. And, and so again, this was, this was, I mean, that's a real gamble because, you know, you, you worry a bit about the, the chemistry, I guess, between the actors. Yeah. But I think, which is incredible. I think that the, the chemistry I mean, oh, between the, the two of them. Yeah. Is the chemistry is amazing. Um, but I think that that's again, a, uh, the sort of intelligence of purpose that Jenkins had when he was sort of crafting the story in the film where he's saying, no, there needs to be uh, a degree to which the um, the dynamic is is a bit off. Yeah, you know, because they haven't seen each other in a long time. Yeah, and they are going to kind of get to know each other over the course of the scene, uh, or, or get to know each other again. And no, you had it right the it, first time. They're they're going to get to know each other because, like you said, they're different men. They're, what they're what they're unpacking in 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 both the diner and later in, uh, when they're at home is sort of unpacking both who the, who they have each become, mm-hmm. but also what is recognizable inside them that they remember from before. Right. What was the connection before that brought them together yeah. that now is they're going to kind of un- unearth again. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, it's a real re- revelation. The, the, the movie, like the, before I went to see it, I was telling somebody I was going to see it and I described the plot and they were like, oh, that sounds like it's going to be a tragic movie. And it's, it's not at all. No, it's not at all. It's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, a beautiful story about uh, a person dealing with extremely difficult circumstances, both external and internal Mm -hmm. and comes out the other end of it, not fixed necessarily, but, but, he comes out of it. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and now, and we don't know, I don't know, maybe something bad happens after the movie, but the, at the place the movie ends, it, it gives a feeling of a, a, a character or even a person understanding himself in a way that he never even did before. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I just, I thought the film was just incredibly, incredibly moving. I, I, um, you know, and I guess, I don't know if you were going to bring it up, but, I have to also say, look, we're a couple of white guys talking about this movie. Yeah. But one one of the things that that uh, even just from that perspective that I really loved about this film is that it offered, um, you know, it's a story coming from a voice that's not normally told. So you have Barry Jenkins, who's black male director who grew up in Miami. Mm-hmm. Um, it's he sort of wrote it with uh, with the playwright. Uh, Terrell McCraney, uh, who it's sort of it's based on an unproduced play of his. Mm-hmm. Um, Terrell McCraney is a gay black male who grew up in Miami, and the film is sort of in part autobiographical. Um, and the chance to see this story that's so highly specific, mm-hmm. told from a specific point of view, uh, that you don't often see. Yeah, you know, as a moviegoer, what 
you know, it may sound selfish in a way, but what more would I want from going to a movie than yeah. to see something I've never seen before, to see a point of view that I've never seen yeah, before? Yeah, it, it gets back to, um, you know, an, another film that I wrote about last week that I, I it's it's one of these films that's, that's stuck with me, even though I know a lot of people don't like it. Um, one of the things that I, I cited that I've, I've continually cited over the last two or three years is the Roger Ebert quote of film being a machine that generates empathy. Mm -hmm. And I, I do not, will not, will not ever know what it's like to be a black man, let alone a gay black man. Yeah. But for 90 minutes, 100 minutes, I was able to get just a glimmer into that, right. in, in, you know, in, in a large environment and not have to go like dive deep into Netflix and find Right. You're it. hearing somebody's story. Yeah. And you know, like that, that what more valuable thing is there in the human experience than somebody relating their story to another, yeah. to another person? Because especially, That's what this movie does. Especially because this story has a lot to say about masculinity in 2016, especially masculinity within the black community, mm -hmm. which is a whole other ball of wax, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I can't even begin to try and speak about it with any kind of real know-how because, again, I don't. But – you know, you read and you listen and, and you, you start to get little pieces here and there of, mm -hmm. of how that's a whole completely different animal than mm -hmm. the gay experience in any other culture. Mm -hmm. And you see that in this movie. Like, yeah. you know, you see, you see it even just within the opening scene with, with him asking Juan, what's a faggot? And Juan trying to right. give him the right. answer, give him the the best answer. Yeah. Not even the right answer, but he just the best answer for him for his age because yeah. he's he very can't, young. He can't just come back with you know it's yeah. this because that's going to completely mess him up. Even though that's probably his instinctual answer, right? Right. It, and and having like you know the more we talk about these kinds of things and the more these conversations come to light in in yeah. all communities, the yeah. better off we're going to be. But it's it's such it's so very different it's, than us as a couple of white guys than it is in. Right. Rural Miami. Oh, that look! I, I couldn't imagine uh, if I was a different person. And and actually, that that's you know, it's an interesting thing. Think about that quote about uh, from Roger Ebert about empathy and and that kind of thing. Lately, I've I've come to a bit of a point of view that maybe empathy isn't always what is required. No, um, that doesn't I, hurt. That what? Well, maybe yes, maybe no. Uh, but that, like, in, a, in the case of a film like this, or a story like this, I can't actually empathize. Do you know what I mean? Like, I could, I can, like, I can pretend, but what does that mean? That, that, I'm, think, that I'm putting myself in their shoes? I'm not putting myself in Chiron's shoes in right. this movie. Right. What I'm doing is, like I said, it's, it, it's like sympathy versus empathy. And I don't mean sympathy in, in a pitying way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, sympathy is in, I am able to watch and understand what is being told to me, mm -hmm. uh, this story that's being given to me, and I can sympathize with what's going on. Now, there are some movies where I can directly empathize because I've been through those types of things. Yeah, yeah. There's other movies that are by white directors and about white men and whatever that – or like about Jewish uh, uh, families or something where um, I haven't experienced that, but I can very easily sympathize, you know, just because – that culture is is closer to mine, mm -hmm. um, and to me, what was what was really uh, in part stunning about this movie was that it it offered the chance to have that sympathy, that sort of experiment in sympathy um, for an experience that I know 
almost nothing about mm-hmm. and and to be to to have that experience um and done in such a like it's a gorgeous film yeah. it's just beautifully shot absolutely beautiful that's an amazing thing and that that's something that you know look this movie it's going to be nominated for best picture it's i sure gonna, hope so. it's going to be nominated for best director i sure hope so uh maybe it'll win i don't know you know what's going to happen it's going to win and then everybody's going to be like oh see oscar's so white that was bullshit because this year we we nominated this or whatever this movie yeah. won and what that misses out to me what that what that whole thing misses out on and why i'm like not looking forward to this movie being in that Oscar conversation is that the movie is better than that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and what Hollywood needs to recognize and to a certain extent, what people like you and I need to recognize, I mean, you're doing it with watching these movies by, by women directors um, to expand the pool of stories that we're exposing ourselves to mm-hmm. because these movies do get made. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, not, it's up to, it's up to us there, to find them and to watch. Yeah, them. There aren't enough of them. Maybe yeah. like there should be more than there are, oh, yeah. but there are movies out there. Pariah is a good example. Mm-hmm. Pariah is a brilliant movie. I considered uh, having it as one of our uh, other side, uh, the other side movies, you know, though there are those movies out there and to a certain extent it's up to us to go seek them out. It's up to critics to champion them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the author can do whatever the hell they want. You know, one thing that's actually, I mean, not to, to congratulate a white guy too much, but one thing that's a little bit impressive with this movie is that it's produced by Brad Pitt's company, Plan, Plan B. B. Yeah. And, you know, he also, his company, they've produced a bunch of movies, but they produced uh, 12 Years a Slave. And this was a movie where his producing partners basically met Barry Jenkins at Telluride apparently. And he told them, Oh, I have this thing that I'm maybe considering doing. They're like, Oh, well get back to us when it's a thing. And you know, they kept to it. And not only that, but you know, to, to a certain extent, it's like putting your money where your mouth is. Mm-hmm. It's like, go see these movies. Yeah. This movie is there to, to be seen, go see it. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's important for us as a, as a, a society and as a culture to do that. To bring in all these. See, it's funny because I know, um, you know, somebody I've got just like untold respect for as a writer, as a friend, as a critic, um, was was beginning to work on on fifty two films with women, and and came back saying it's actually kind of tricky because I'm having trouble finding the films, and I'm having trouble, you know, like kind of opening myself up to the subject matter because it doesn't all fit into my little. I'm going to throw it on in a Friday night box, Mm -hmm. Um, and he go and and said. It, it's sort of work, and I said, "Well, you know what? You you kind of have to. We all we we come to a point where we have to do the do work. the work. Do the you work. Know, yes, exactly. It, it's, yeah. it sounds crappy, yeah. but if and the the point the hope is that eventually it won't be work. That right. will you will find them easier, and that they will be a little bit more right. accessible into what your box is. But right now, right. we all have to and, to do the work. And you know what? It was really gratifying yesterday. I went to see." Uh, Moonlight again. I saw it in New York, but I saw it again. Uh, uh, was your last theater night. full last night? Oh, are you kidding? It was completely full. Yeah. Not only that, Cameron Bailey from uh, you know lead TIFF programmer did an introduction for the movie oh, on wow. its like normal release. Like yeah. it's not even the, it's, he didn't have anybody there. He was just yeah. like telling the audience that, you know, that this is really is a great cool. Movie. Yeah, because I was there. And, on, I was there on Friday night, and for a commercial release at Lightbox, I think it was as full as I. And ever by the seen way, it. apparently it's playing at the Varsity too. Mm-hmm. So it's not like that's the only theater no, to see it at. No, but, but it still, was, it was packed. Uh, it was packed with a crowd that is, uh, quite honestly, much more diverse than I usually see at the Lightbox. 
um, it and to have a mass of people experience a movie like this from a voice that is not you know it's often subject. I mean Barry Jenkins his last movie came out eight years ago yeah yeah. How the hell does it? And that was a great movie, Medicine for Melancholy. Is a I haven't seen. I'm, I'm looking forward to actually tracking it down. You know, it's not. It's not even close to the level no, of, but of this movie. But it's a great movie, and you watch that, and you're like, "How was this guy not able to get a movie off the ground yeah. in eight years? Oh man, how did that happen?" It's funny because you know, like I, I had little points that I wanted to bring up with the movie. Like I, you know, I wanted to discuss something I think is the flaw, and yet at the same time, I don't. You which, know, I, which, which flaw? Actually, I'm curious. I'm curious. The flaw for me is, and I, and I know why it's there because it because it was it was something that had to deal do with scheduling. But I feel like Naomi Harris's character is shortchanged. Mm. Um, you know, it it in a way it's covered with what you were talking about in that time moves on in this movie and mm. we just get it in the broadest strokes and it works. Don't get me yeah. wrong. Like I'm not even despite this flaw, I love this movie. However, it's an exploration of a character I would have liked because we get a lot of exploration of the the influence of Juan on 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 Chiron in this movie, and we even get a lot of exploration of the influence of Teresa mm. uh, on him in this movie. And I would have wanted just a little bit more time mm-hmm. with with Naomi Harris as as Chiron's mom. She comes and goes so quickly, and yeah. as, like there's there's specifically I wanted a moment in between the last time we see her and the second last time we see mm-hmm. her because I feel like there's something in that moment that right. deeply deeply affected who he becomes. Right. Um, that that's you know, that, that it, that's it, and even then, it's, it's like, and, and you know what? That's that's my flaw. I still don't care. But but by the way, that so it, it's it's an interesting flaw, um, and it's one that I don't entirely disagree with. Although I think my mom would, considering how much she was crying during that scene, <laughs> that last scene with her, yeah. uh, she was like grabbing napkins and like dabbing her eyes. Um, the it, I, I didn't really have an issue with that although when a couple of people have pointed it out to me and also pointed out you know it's a bit of a stereotypical character yeah i've heard i listened to an interview with barry jenkins where he was talking about the um how he worked with naomi harris and basically was like look my mom was a crackhead mm-hmm. and terrell's mom was also a crackhead you know yeah. this is an actual experience that we went through yeah um that isn't just the you know it's become a cliche in a way but they tried to make it as true to their experience as possible yeah. so that so that it wouldn't feel that way um it's debatable the success of that i think yeah um i think that they fall on the good end of it but like i said other people disagree so it's it clearly you know it could go either way on that yeah, and i mean like if i'm saying i want more of it uh you know I, I think that that's that's a good flaw to have if i'm saying i want more moments between sharon and his mom um right you know i like i always want always leave them wanting more sure right? it's not like i was like yeah but get, i think get rid but, of the but mom. i think what you mean is is what it ends up doing is it makes the character almost not that she's two-dimensional but that it's like the extra dimensionality that we could have is somehow missing a little bit because we don't get the the feeling of well, she's the only connection. constant, right? Like this is right. this is a kid who evolves and has people come in and out of his life, and and yeah, Kevin's there the whole time, right. but Kevin is an is an evolution in himself, and and Kevin disappears not disappears, but Kevin goes his separate ways. The right. only person who's been in his life in some capacity the whole time See, so, is his mom. So, so that so. that was an interesting thing watching the movie a second time, where I actually some I, I don't know how I how it didn't occur as much to me on the first viewing, but on the second viewing where I did actually see the arc of her change over that period. Okay. 
um, where like every scene you see her, she's in a slightly different state. Well, and, even just think and, about the first time you see her and she's coming home from work and she's got a yeah. badge on and like she's she's working some kind of like de- not great job obviously but decent job yeah some kind of nurse y- yeah nurse some kind job, yeah some yeah. kind of RN or something like yeah. that and and just the the fall and it's like you know yeah. this isn't the kind of thing that just falls to just any old poor person this is right. the kind of thing that it falls any working class person can just slide down right. this cliffside right including somebody who's trying to do the right do, do right by their by their son right um no so the, like you know she, yeah, yeah, she yeah, could yeah. shit she could have a whole movie to herself to be entirely you know, honest and it wouldn't be this you know, movie one, and it would be probably of, equally beautiful one of the great things about the film is and and you know it goes back to what i was saying about what makes it unique um just like each sort of genre section of the movie could be its own thing yeah each character could have their own movie in this oh yeah kevin's story you know where like he's this kid putting on fronts about like, you know, how, how manly he is and like claiming to have sex with a girl in the stairwell of the school and somehow like the security or principal or whoever just lets him off. Like that's not a thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, then, and then like where you see, you, you see him where he ends up uh, by the end of the movie. And that's, that's an amazing story in itself. Mm-hmm. You know, e- the movie could have easily been about him. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah, it, it's no. really it's really a, a sort of sort of a marvelous yeah. work. This is yeah. an incredible film. I really hope people see it as as the winter goes along. Um, and and yeah, like I, in in a perfect world, this will be brought up quite a lot come Oscar time, um, if only just to raise the profile of all involved. I, right. I could give a crap whether it wins or loses, but just to give some exposure to yeah. the talent, the the immense talent. In this movie, um, right. would, would, I, I, is, is all I really want. I, I do not want to wait another eight years for a Barry Jenkins movie. No, um, no, just you know. I want. You know, I spoke with, like I said, I spoke with Andre Holland uh, about his work in the movie, and one of the things that he kept coming back to over and over is that what he's really looking for is to be the lead in a movie. And I'm going like, how is he? How has he not already been one? Anybody who saw the Nick should yeah. have been casting him as the lead in every Everything. single thing. That, yeah. If I wrote a movie, he would be the lead in it without yeah. question. Yeah. You know, when's the Nick coming back? I feel like we're if it comes new- back. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, that, that's a bit more of an if. So we'll oh, see. Man. Yeah. Well, we end every review here on the matinee cast, and I'm putting you on the spot because I don't think I told you about this part ahead of time. But we end every review on the matinee cast with the souvenir, something mm-hmm. tangible or mm-hmm. intangible mm-hmm. that if you could take away from this movie and keep. You would. Mm-hmm. Do you have a souvenir, or do you want me to start talking while you think? Uh, start talking. Okay. So mine, mine is two. Mine, mine is one. Um, it's it's the key question and the key theme of this movie that's said a few times of who is you, you mm-hmm. know, who are you as a person? Who have you turned yourself into? Who do you claim to be at any given moment? I think that that's a that's a really it's it's so facile, mm-hmm. really. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's so important, and I, and I love that the film has the stones to to ask it in mm-hmm. every act. It, like, I, and I think a different character asks it every time. I know, I know it's his mom in the first act, and I know it's Kevin in the third act. I can't quite remember who it is in the, in the second act, mm-hmm. but I, I love the core question of who is you. But on a on a superficial level, um, Kevin's cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin puts together this like fish and beans uh, dish. 
yeah, uh, like in Cuban, the diner, the chef special, dish, yeah, you know, this Cuban dish, this chef special. I'm like, mm -hmm. I, I want one. Yeah, the chef special. Yeah, over here, please, with with wine in a plastic cup. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, have that. I'll have that, please. That that was I that I've left very hungry, and I yeah. ate right before the movie. But that was my souvenir was was who is you and and the. Cuban chef special. Did yeah, you, you I, I was actually going to say the the chef special, although I mean, in part because it just looked delicious, but the uh, but also um, to me, everything that's that's great about the movie is contained in that in that scene where you have uh, one man cooking for another man uh, with pure love, yeah, um, and affection, yeah, um, and you know the way that he brings it to the table and sort of the laugh that they share about it. I mean it it that it's like everything contained in one in in one even scene. the way he cites grandma's rule you eat you speak right that kind of thing right. I, 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 love I also it. also like where he says like you know it's better than your chef boy RD and and he responds uh you know I don't know I cook up a mean uh no no what did he say he says uh, my spaghettios go hard yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. um we rate here on the matinee cast on a scale of one to four stars I'm sure this is going to come a shock to nobody but Corey Tad what do you give I mean you? whatever I don't like this kind of thing I but know. you know just give it all of them yeah it's, it's I, I'm I'm with you this is a four star movie this is handily one of the very best movies of the year and one that I hope a lot of people see and that I hope continues in the conversation in the months ahead. I think that is not going to be a stretch to achieve. Hey, listen, we could be nuts. You could hate this movie and I'd love to know why because I could do with a good fight. Um, or, you know, you could be with us and love this movie. Let me know. Ryan at matinee.ca, uh, Twitter where I'm matinee underscore CA or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. What do you think of Barry Jenkins' Moonlight? We are going to be right back after this quick break. We're going to flip the record over and play the other side right after this. We're back. You're on Matt Maycast 166. He's Corey Tad. I'm Ryan McNeil. We've been talking about Barry Jenkins' uh, Moonlight and companion films that can go along with it. And we're doing something a little weird that I've never actually done before. The the first film that we're going to talk about, the one that Corey Tad selected, which is a natural choice, to be entirely honest. Like, you didn't exactly go off book with this one. It was, it was, it's probably the film that a lot of people are going to think about when they happen to think of, um, of Moonlight. Uh, where, where we're a little different today is that it's a film that we have reviewed here on the Matinee Cast before. If you go back to episode 117, you can get a full uh, discussion of the film in, in complete. Um, you went back uh, just two short years ago to Richard Linklater's um, quote, masterpiece and quote uh boyhood um starring uh eller coltrane as a kid who grows for um, like 12 years from 2002 to 2013 uh and um i i got the impression that uh, that you're not a fan of this movie no i mean it's fine I've seen, I've, seen, I've seen it a couple times. I mean, it's a movie that exists. Because um, <laughs> that yeah, that's a great sell. This, I, this is a movie. It it it, it is it exists. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I I suppose it's it's Linklater's opus masterpiece. I mean, probably his masterpiece is uh, 
you know, before sunset or sunrise. Um, I, I would may, agree. I would agree may, with you there, but maybe School of Rock. See, now you're just messing with it's me. Don't though. You were doing so well. It's so we good. come so far. Have you seen School of Rock? Lately? I love School so, of Rock, but let, one, let's... Wonder, wonderful film. Sure. Um, uh, but Boyhood. I mean, my feeling about Boyhood goes back to when I first saw it, which I don't remember. It was part. It was that played some festival or something. I saw it at like an early North by Northeast. Yes. So I saw it there. I think it yeah. played at the Bloor. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was really excited for it. Love Link later generally. Uh, and I kind of watched it and it was like, felt nothing. Didn't do anything for me. I was like, what's up with that? That's kind of weird. Cause yeah. everybody had been loving the movie. Yeah. Um, o- over time, I like my opinion soured on it a bit more, but partly as like a backlash to a lot of the hype and the Oscar talk, whatever. And, um, so I'll admit to, to a bit of that, um, you know, I watched it at some point. I watched it again just to see if I was kind of crazy, and again, it kind of like sort of did nothing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason that I that I chose it in this case, it I suppose it it is actually kind of a natural fit for Moonlight uh, comparison point. Um, but I didn't think of it on my own. I saw I saw a couple of people might have been Miriam Bale on Twitter, but I feel like it was her um, sort of mentioned the two movies. Uh, together um, and referred to kind of the conversation about universality. Okay. Now, she didn't express on Twitter what she meant or what she thinks of either film necessarily, but it did get me thinking about uh, what exactly that means. And, you know, Boyhood is a, a movie that I've seen some people argue, oh, you know, if it wasn't called Boyhood, no one would think that it's trying to be universal or, or anything like that. I sort of beg to differ. Now that's, to me, Boyhood is a movie that, yes, it has a lot of like highly specific things that are taken from Linklater's own life and all the, that kind of stuff. You know, the, the moments themselves are often highly specific. Granted, there's a few moments, you know, like the drunk husband and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. are a little bit on the sort of cliche melodramatic side. Um, but again, you could probably make those complaints about Moonlight as well. The problem for me with Boyhood is that the entire concept of it and the fact that there's really not much of a plot and no. it doesn't end up anywhere no do you know what i mean so what is the kid what does the kid learn by the end he hasn't learned anything yeah do you know what i mean in fact who is the kid does he have a personality does he have anything about him as a character that we care about no so what what ends up happening is that movie becomes a stand-in for what it is like to grow up okay? yeah and in some respects, it does that very nice and like nicely and well and whatever. But at the end of the day, it presents uh, a character who's barely a character mm-hmm. in a fashion that implies a kind of universality that I don't think is real. See, what I what I'll what I'll just say, and and in terms of how it relates to Moonlight, yeah. very specifically, is that I don't think Moonlight is trying to be universal at all. No, no. Um, Okay. It's not interested in that. No. It's interested in telling this story because this is the story that these people know and have gone through. Right. Um, It makes no attempt to try and say, oh, but this is what everybody kind of goes through. Now, I can watch it and see myself in some of those struggles, I suppose. Yeah. But almost none of them. You know, maybe generally the struggle for an identity. Yeah. But, but... 
to me, that is the defining separation of, you know, you have one coming of age tale that actually deals with real struggles, real specific uh, uh, ideas and a specific story. And, and boyhood, which for as nice and pleasant as it is, to me at the end of the day doesn't offer very much. Yeah. What I'm noticing as I as I think about the two films in in comparison, I, I didn't get a chance to rewatch Boyhood for this episode mostly because I didn't have three hours to spare. <laughs> um, which don't get me wrong, I'm I've never been shy about length. If anything, I, yeah. I, I it, which is no, which is crazy because we have a film, we have two films in this conversation, and one is almost exactly half the time of yeah. the other, and tells. Yes, but you only have so much time in the day. No, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but what I what I really notice when I compare the two movies is one seems to, one is very very much about the child and one seems to be far more interested in the parents. I really feel when I came away from Boyhood that I had a really really great idea mm -hmm. of who uh, Olivia and Mason his parents were. Mm -hmm. Maybe even kind of sort of where they went wrong. Yeah. You know, it just when they first got together and how they went along their their tracks separate and mm -hmm. parallel, um, then I was about who Mason Jr. Right. was in that movie because he just he's a, he's a normal kid. He's a cipher. Basically, he's not, there, there's not even to the look. Kids grow. Up, I didn't have maybe the most eventful life growing up. Most of like, us don't. But there's still struggle that could be yeah. found if you're gonna give me a movie. Um, you know, there are slice of life movies. Those mm -hmm. exist. Mm -hmm. I suppose boyhood fits into that, but the long arc of boyhood yeah. would suggest that there should be something more than the slice of life that's offered. Sure. I mean, to be honest, this was, I had this conversation the other day. I quite liked the movie American Honey. Mm -hmm. Um, but one of the problems, clear problems to me with that movie is that it's very long and it's not that long is a bad thing. Although in this case it does drag a bit, but the, the bigger problem is that the length of it would imply that there's much more to it right. other than the slice of life. Right, and right. I don't know that in fact it achieves that. And so for me, boyhood is is kind of similar, um, and that's never mind sort of maybe some of the racial dynamics of of yeah, you create like a story about a generic white kid, and and it you know is an interesting that that's obviously universal. Mm -hmm. That you know whatever you can debate that. I think. The when you bring up the parents, that's kind of spot on because there's a version of that movie that is called Motherhood, yeah, and is about Patricia Arquette's character, and she's the center of it. And the last scene is the scene is her last scene in the movie, yeah. And that would be one of the most beautiful, devastating movies I've ever seen, yeah, yeah. But it, but that's not this but movie. That's not, <laughs> that, that's not what it is. No. You know what I mean? It yeah. tries to like do more and be more and. In doing more and being more, it ultimately says very little. Again, in moments it says, like so, that scene with Patricia Arquette, her last scene is this beautiful scene that says a lot, mm -hmm. but that's one scene in the movie. So it's not the arc of the movie. The, the, the core question is, and this is something that was brought up a lot at the time and still remains a question, is this movie one great big gimmick? Um, I, uh, because that's I, the, I, the, the driving engine of this movie is that they got these people back together once a year for 12 years in a row mm -hmm. and had the intelligence to shoot it all on film so that it would match. And it, it because of that, you create – no matter the fact that yeah, three hours, I you mean, could have done it in two hours. My, so the, the fact that you get a natural aging, you get you know seven up in shorter doses there, but in one story. There are, there are, is that not just a trick? 
that you then hang a very, very, very basic narrative on? Um, look, in part, the basic narrative probably just has to do with the fact that it's very difficult to plan that kind of story over 12 years. Um, sure, but you, you can plan a story. You, there, there's, it's just it's, maybe. it's a white well, Texas I, kid grows up. I suppose. I think that he. I think that he plans. Uh, I don't know why I'm defending the movie here, but I think that I was going to say you were the one who wanted to pick a fight. No, there was another movie that came out a couple of years before uh, by Michael Winterbottom called Every Day, mm-hmm. which I think you saw. Well, I think did we I, see it? Did no, I know of it, but I oh, okay. I didn't so see it. there were other people who saw it with me at TIFF. Anyway, that movie was very clearly shot. Uh, I think, if I remember right, at first um, on, it was, I think it was all digital video, but it just, because it's digital video, over time it gets better until like the end when maybe it's shot on film at the end, or maybe it's shot on like some high def, like really good quality camera. But you can see, and that movie is shot over a five year period. And Mm -hmm. that one actually has a story about a father who's sent to jail and having to sort of try and be there for his family while he's in jail and what the family is going through and the kids growing up and all of that. It's all, it's only over five years, so it's not quite as ambitious, but, uh, you know, part of the idea of changing the film stock is to highlight the change. Mm -hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. boyhood, I think that in part he wanted to obscure the change. Like there's, there are some scenes there where you're not even sure that actually time has passed. You sort of, you have to like marking it there. There's two markers for me. One is the music. Well, the haircuts, right? The haircuts are no, but for me, I I was always able to figure out where we were in time by what songs were playing. It's one of those crazy, it's one of those crazy things. You will, if you play a certain, I will always be able to go. Yes. If you're using it at time, I will be able to go there. But I, I mean, I mean, visually to understand the development of the character, where you're sort of there are a few times well, where the other, the other clue just to finish the other clue is the tech because every like an iPod will show up right or again a but that but that's o- that's up. over a longer a longer term right. but there are certain scenes where like it'll cut from one scene to the next and you go wait ha- has he aged or is it just a new scene in the same year right. and it takes a minute to figure it out um, and that's partly on purpose because he's trying to make it sort of a smooth transition mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with that but again the the smoothness of it is in direct contrast to what Moonlight does, where yeah. it purposely has these gaps. Where when you when you cut from the uh, the second young actor who plays Chiron to the third actor, it's like shocking yeah. the difference. And that's on purpose. That's by design. Yeah. Is that you know the the degree of change that you witness and what that says about the character mm-hmm. um, is so important and in boyhood to me the it's a sort of a fundamental flaw but by obscuring or attempting to smooth over the transit to make it feel smooth as it does in life mm-hmm. um, is to sort of paper over the differences that are inherently dramatic yeah do you know what i mean oh yeah and and again it's it's by design like linklater is not a stupid director he didn't do it uh by accident like oh crap i can't believe i i made this smooth transition and now the movie doesn't work yeah and obviously a lot of people think the movie works it's just that the way that i see it what he ends up doing in that movie is is taking what could have been a highly specific drama Mm -hmm. about a kid growing up in texas with a mother who's uh, hard up, um, and a father who's sort of like absent, but loving. Those are things that are highly specific that could have been so interesting and so moving to me if they were told in a dramatic way. Um, 
and they're just not. And so, you know, to go back to your question, is it a gimmick? I don't think that it's a gimmick. I think, and maybe at the time in Snark, I said that it was a gimmick, <laughs> but I, I don't actually think that, that it's a gimmick. I think that he's attempting something in terms of a way to tell a story. I just think that at the end of the day, he doesn't have a story that, that is told. Yeah. I think the difference for me between the two, just to kind of close up boyhood and, and, mm-hmm. and move along is that when I, even though they're the easy comparison and they are like, it, it's, it's going to, I guarantee we will be brought up as people go on to talk about moonlight yeah. is that moon, moonlight feels singular it feels like this boy's story yeah. whereas boyhood feels far broader far like any boy's story any any white kid of middle class sure. parents you know growing up in the new century but then i watch that, it that is most of their stories right it's, it's just exactly it's long the it's problem is, the, the problem is to put a fine point on it when i when i watch moonlight it's not at all my story but i'm so deeply invested yeah. when i watch when i watch boyhood I see a story that is signaling to me that I should identify with it, and I don't. Not because I haven't gone through similar things, because I have, yeah. but that the, just the construction of the movie, when I watch it, I'm like, yeah, sure, I guess that is in part my experience, but I, it, it doesn't connect. Yeah, it it's, it's connect. funny because yeah. to me, like, you know, I'm talking about two movies that I gave the exact same score, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I love them both. They're both like, you know, just I'm happy these films exist. I think a lot of people should see them. And yet at the same time, like, not all things, I, I don't love all things equally. There's right. there's some things that just affect me so much deeper. And yeah, if somebody has never seen Boyhood, absolutely. Take the time, sit down, oh, watch it and, and check it watch out. Watch Boyhood. But at yeah. the same time, it's like, you know, you let it sit and you let you let it kind of yeah. hang on to it for a little while the, and you start to kind of notice these little things, which may still go the, in and make it better. The other thing, but, the other thing, I know we're running long, but the, the thing that I have to admit is like, I do feel a little bit bad about my snark about the movie at the time. <laughs> um, this is therapeutic, in, in, I like in, this. In part because uh, the thought that Moonlight is going to go through the same thing, which it will because it's going to have all the Oscar attention. Mm-hmm. I can't. I. It's like I don't even want to hear it. Like yeah. not because I don't. want A lot to hear of people it. are going to watch that movie and say, "Really, this is it?" Not. not I, you know that's going to happen. I don't. And I, I'm I, so but sad. I don't that's have. Happen, but, but I don't have that. I, that's not the problem that I have. No. So really, I don't. Yeah, I do. I don't have the problem of somebody coming and having a different. Like to me. Like I said, with Boyhood, at the end of the day, what it comes down to is I watch the movie. I recognize there's a lot of great in it. It just didn't do anything for yeah, me. Yeah. Okay. If somebody comes and tells me, which I've spoken to a couple of people who watched Moonlight and had some issues, you know, we discussed at least one of them, uh, or who felt like, oh, it, you know, kind of just somehow didn't work on me. You know, fair enough. In fact, let's have a conversation about it. I'm curious to hear what you have to say about that. What I'm not interested in is the thing that I probably did with with boyhood to an extent, which is overdo that negativity in pure response to, to the hype, to try and take people down for it. The one, the one, the one (laughs) thing, the one thing I will, the one thing I will admit is that I can understand why that reaction happens in part because I've engaged in it, but also because, you know, I see like something like Hamilton, you know, like I love Hamilton, but man, even I'm fucking sick of Hamilton. Oh, sorry, <laughs> so, that I'm leaving in. Yeah, That's all right. Yeah. Even I'm, yeah. I'm not it's like I still, time to I still move listen, on. Yeah. I still listen to it. Yeah. But I'm but sick of yeah. like the yeah. craziness around. And I know that by February, when everybody's still talking about Moonlight and how it's the greatest thing since uh, sliced cheese, we're 
<laughs> you're you know, you're going to be hard even, pressed even, to hold even it. Even I'm just going to be like, like, oh, fine, uh, okay, yeah, have your backlash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know. So uh, there we go. There's boyhood that, yeah. um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, we both like, whereas Moonlight we love. But if mm-hmm. you've never seen boyhood, do check it out. Yeah. Um, find the three hours. Um, we're going to be right back after one last break, turn the record over again, and talk about one more movie right after this. For my choice on the other side, I went back a little further and went all the way back to 2001, a film I probably didn't see until a year or so after, until 2002 or even early 2003. 2001 Space Odyssey? Yeah. (laughs) Um, I went to Alfonso Cuaron's, um, kind of his breakthrough, where... um, A Little Princess. His breakthrough, not his breakout. Itu Mama Tambien, starring uh, Diego Luna, Gael Garcia Bernal, and uh, Maribel Verdu. Um, It's, you know, in case anybody's, if you've never seen it, just stop the show here, track it down, and watch it, first of all. Um, But it's a road movie. It's about three people who go on the road together. Um, One of them has a secret that the other two don't know about. The other two are really close friends who have grown up together. And it's kind of one of these you know, endless summer, last moment in their freedom kind of stories. And, you know, I, I, I guess I thought about it, obviously, because of the connection in this movie, in, in Ito Mama Tambien, um, between Julio and Tanak, and mm-hmm. the connection that we see in Moonlight between mm-hmm. Kevin and Chiron. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that's why you'd chosen it. That's, it, it I was, was wondering, actually. Yeah, yeah. It, it was, you know, kind of, because... It's, it's one of those crazy things where, you know, I, I mentioned what Moonlight says about masculinity. Mm. And masculinity is the this weird-ass thing where for the longest time, the worst thing you could say about another dude is, what are you, gay? Yeah. Like it's, it's just this yeah. insult that's just thrown around and everybody is yeah. hyper-protective and has their back up. And it's really a crazy thing it's, when you think it's about it. It's so weird, yeah. you know? Yeah. But... Meanwhile, you you get these you get these kinds of stories where, you know, you you realize that sometimes the line between friendship slash brotherhood and genuine sexual or romantic love is really blurrier than any dude really wants to admit. Mm. You know, and movies like Moonlight and Itumama Tambien are what show you how blurry that line really is. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so when I saw Moonlight, it was one of the ones. That got me got me thinking back to that. Had you have you seen this movie lately or? Uh, I, maybe a year ago actually. Yeah. I did, like, did anything jump out at you when you when you watched it again for? You like, Mama Tambien. Yeah. Uh, I mean, not in terms of jumping out. It's it's just a great movie. It's a, it's it's um, um. You know, again, if you want to talk about hyper specific, it's a road movie about very specific characters going through a very specific point in their life. Mm-hmm. Uh, or in their lives, um, it's it's a, it's actually a lot of fun. Yeah, um, it's really funny. Although when you th- it's it's really funny and it's really fun. Although weirdly, when I think about the plot, it's actually a very like intense, 
like the, the emotions are so intense that somehow um, I always forget that it's a fun movie. So it's like, I remember the last time. Oh, you I, remember like the last 30 minutes well, and you forget the you, first 60. You remember the last 30, but even earlier in the, I mean, like even earlier in the movie, just I, what I remember is the emotional arc of the characters. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's a really heavy thing that, that they're going through. Yeah. Um, and then anytime that I watch it, I'm like, oh yeah, it's also like a fun road movie with yeah. like jokes and, you know, like there's fart saying, jokes, you, yeah, know, you know, there's jerking off on a diving board, sure. there's all, all this, like, you know, like really yeah. like, you know, grab assery. In right, the whole thing. right, right. And yet what, what you get here is, is something I'm, I might've actually been really interested to see in Moonlight, not that I want to mess with that movie a bit cause I don't, mm. but what happens when you, uh, introduce a woman into the dynamic? Mm-hmm. Um, because that, that, that's the thing is, is when, when they're, when they're hanging out just on their own, you kind of get the idea that Julio and Tanakh are these one kind of set of best friends slash, you know, pseudo brothers. Mm-hmm. And then when Louisa enters into the equation, she kind of throws them off their axis. Right. So I would have been, you know, thinking about one film in comparison to the other, I would have been interested to see what happens if that girl that Kevin claimed to be hitting it with in the stairway actually had a showed up. At some point, and how that might change. I mean, change you're their... assuming that that's even a real girl. I, 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 I don't, I don't, I, yeah. Well, or okay, okay. <laughs> he doesn't, he, re, you know, like, okay. Um, this, this is true. But any any girl who he happens yes, to be yes, seeing, yes, yes. what would have like what would have the change in their body language been? Yeah. And how they relate to each other? The scene at the end of that movie when they're in Kevin's house, like what would happen if the mother of his daughter had to come home? Right. You know, like that kind of thing. I'm always interested in. The, the gender dynamics of you've got all of one sex and you drop in one of the other, mm-hmm. how that mm-hmm. change comes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, look, I mean, that's, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of what like each moment Tambian is all about. That's like, that's the driving force in the movie is you've got uh, these two characters who have a friendship that like, you know, veers into more than a friendship. Um, but that is complicated by their relationships with other women um, and relationships with the women that each of them are having relationships yeah. with. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's uh, it's a, <laughs> you know, um, uh, so there's all all that stuff going on. Um, I think that it's funny that that you mentioned that about Moonlight because it it never would have occurred to me. And part of the reason is is that Moonlight to me, first of all, it's much more about the one character. Mm-hmm. So that would have made it a bit more of a two hander. Yeah. The other, the other issue is that it's about the one character, and even to a certain extent, the secondary character, um, going through a, a very deeply internal struggle mm-hmm. that is, you know, the external factors actually don't often have nothing to do with the internal part. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so to bring in, like, a woman or even another guy into the equation, you know, like think about that. Think about if, if you had like the second section of moonlight and there's this other guy, now maybe like he and Kevin aren't doing anything together, but, uh, but Chiron sees them and kind of gets jealous. You know, you could see that kind of thing happening. Um, but I almost didn't, it's like, it it was something that never would have occurred to me in Itumaba Tambien, the entire dynamic of the movie rests on that idea of what happens, like you're saying, what happens when you disrupt this. Yeah. Now, of course, the interesting thing in that movie, like I sort of referenced earlier, is that the 
once it like messes with the dynamic, what you realize is that the dynamic has always been Messed a bit. With. Yeah, yeah, it's always been screwy from the start. They just didn't <laughs> know. They didn't know that. Yeah. Right? They didn't know that that was going on. Yeah. yeah. Um, what I will what I will say that that when I you know when I saw that that was the movie that you chose, I was kind of thinking, oh, what does that have to do with Moonlight? Other than kind of general coming of age, maybe a bit of a sexual dynamic. Um, the thing that's really striking in Itumama Tambien that is, I think, shared by Moonlight um, is that you have characters that who exist in um, a, a very specific context. Mm-hmm. So in Itumama Tambien, it's extremely specific. There's a very specific political context yeah. that it that it that it uh, is set in. Uh, Moonlight's actually a little bit more like timeless. Like you're never quite even sure when it's taking place. No, no, it's um, good. It's good like that actually. Yeah, but the but the let's say social political dynamics are very, very important to what's going on in Moonlight in terms of, you know, what was happening in, in Miami, Dade County up to this day, but especially through the early nineties and, and, uh, and late nineties. And then, um, you know, the crack at the epidemic and all those, all those kinds of things bear down on Moonlight. Mm-hmm. They bear down, on that story as well, in terms of a country that is going through, you know, it's set in Mexico and it's set at, at right at the cusp of this really revolutionary change in the politics of the country mm-hmm. um, with the rise of uh, Vincente Fox. Sort of to see these characters struggle with these uh, sort of personal identity issues and personal relationship issues in the context of that sort of revolutionary change in the society, in the context of, you know, the the main characters are actually quite relatively well off, yeah. but they go through a country that is very impoverished. Yeah. It's the micro um, and the macro of, of the whole right. thing. Now, so again, each one of Tambien is dealing with it much more like overtly the political uh, circumstances, but though, in theory, those political circumstances have nothing to do with the plot uh, between those characters, except that it has everything yeah. to do with it because it has to do with the way those characters see themselves situated in that world. It's funny because right? the thing I, I think about in the relationship between the two movies is Itumama Tambien seems to take just like potentially one moment mm-hmm. of Chiron's life and expand it into a 90 minute story right. Ver, you know, versus Moonlight is content to take that kind of moment and throw it out right. and not even let you see it. You know, like that's, th- th- that's the thing. Like yeah. he very, he certainly did because we know it have moments that were as affecting to him mm-hmm. as as this particular road trip is to Julio Tanak and uh, and Louisa, but we just we just don't see it. Like I mean, right. you know, the death of Juan must have sent him for a complete bloody loop, but yeah. we're just not treated to that. The mo- that it's and yet both movies are are genius in how they approach either the exploration of a singular moment or the complete mm-hmm. omission mm-hmm. of a singular moment and trusting that everything else outside doesn't matter. Yeah, it's very true. And and I mean the other thing that is is also true of of Itumama Tambien and it, I mean it was actually if I recall correctly that movie even though he had done Little Princess before so I don't know He did it, uh, it, it, Great Expectations was before that too. Yeah, well, Great Expectations yeah, so that too but the, so you know he's worked with kids a bunch but for everything that I know about is that David Heyman hired Quran to do Harry Potter because he saw you to Mama Tambien yeah. and it was like you're dealing with kids who are like on the cusp of a change in their in their <laughs> life and whatever and 
And when you think about that, the way that Itumar Tambien deals with young people, and actually it's funny because Luisa is a bit older than they are. Yeah. Uh, by like maybe 10 years or something. Or, a few or, years. I don't know if it's 10, but it's a few. Well, she's like... If like I they're remember, they're supposed to be eighteen. They're like eighteen, and she's like in her late twenties. So okay, like yeah. you know, it's maybe like Close, maybe only eight years. Yeah, yeah. It's like in the neighborhood of ten years. Yeah. But certainly the two the two boys going through this change in their relationship, change in who they are, these kinds of things, and that's what Moonlight is entirely about as well. Mm-hmm. And like you said, like Dieter Tamban is dealing with it in a very specific moment. So it's sort of saying, what does this moment say about the changes that are occurring both like from one end of it to the other? Mm-hmm. Like who are they before this movie? Who are they after this movie? Yeah. You don't see that, but the the movie gives you an indication of what that changes. Moonlight does sort of the opposite where uh, I mean, I guess you could say what happens on either end, but really what it's about is what happens in between. And you don't entirely know, but the idea of those changes and how young people in particular change um, over time, it, it's its an interesting connection to have made between those two movies. See, the thing is, and it's, it's, it's actually kind of cool that you brought it up, is the thing that makes me hopeful now is, you know, when you look at this was the film that got... Quaron, the Harry Potter job is, I wonder who's going to see Moonlight and offer Barry Jenkins some sort of studio job that will fund, you know, three more Barry Jenkins movies after, yeah. after he's done. But I, again, Quaron, you know, did the Harry Potter and it's true. He did like some, not small movies, but some interesting Well, yeah, he took that money and he turned afterward. it into Children of Men and Gravity. he turned it into Gravity and whatever the heck yeah. he's going to do next. And it looks like he's actually going back to Mexico um, yeah. for his next film. Um, yeah, it's, it's, he's, he's, a uh, he's played the game very, very nicely. And yeah. I kind of hope that more he's also directors... a director who needs to work more often. Like what the hell? It was what between, it was like six years, six years. Uh, well, but then look, yeah, and... gravity was, was tricky. Right. So yeah, I, I mean, it, as long as he doesn't try to do something too technically challenging, well, it's already been a few years. So All we'll right. yeah, so there we go. Yeah. Um, there we go. Three incredible movies, even as much as we want to pick on boyhood that can uh, <laughs> do well to, to satisfy your cinematic needs on episode 166 um but that's the show that's matt and acast 166 come on back on november 14th for episode 167 stop me if you heard this before but i have no idea what i'm talking about in the next episode because i looked at what's coming up in the next two weeks and uh i think i might have to look at the really? article what's, what's coming out well this week we've got a speaking of this week we've got a marvel movie and mm. I, you know i don't really want to talk about those much anymore and mm. then the, the week after there's nothing really big commercially oh, so i kind of got to look at what's going to play like varsity and lightbox and that kind of thing um, Maybe, there, there's plenty of good stuff coming there's so, tons i yeah. just i just kind of need to look and yeah. arrange guests which seems to be the challenge of this show <laughs> um Listen to Corey's uh, handiwork uh, producing Talk Easy with San Fragoso. I'm not on that podcast. No, you're not on it. He just does, uh, you know, as I said, he just makes it all sound really pretty, um, takes, you know, Sam's fantastic interviews and gives them the spit and polish they deserve. Yeah. Um, do read his writing, though, um, which I'll have links in the show notes. Yeah, especially I'll, I'll, I'll send you those links. You can post them. The, I did the interviews with Holland and, uh, and Rhodes for Moonlight, which, you know, I think anybody who listened to the conversation would be probably interested Definitely. in reading. Definitely, yeah. Um, and if people want to follow you, if people want to listen to you yelling on Twitter, where can they find you? I mean, I try not to yell that much anymore. But, uh, <laughs> you're, uh, you're getting wise in your old years there. Yeah, uh, you know. know. Uh, so you can follow me at Coriotad with, with an E. Corey, Corey with an E. Very cool. Um, yeah, the correct way. <laughs> My site is thematinee.ca. For more audio content, you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting. You can also find them on Pocket Cast, Stitcher Radio, Blueberry, Apple's podcast app, and the iTunes Store. Everything gives you ways to subscribe for free 
and get alerts when new episodes drop. Feedback on Moonlight, Y Tu Mama Tambien, or Boyhood can be left in the comment section of the site. You can email ryan at matinee.ca, Twitter, ryanmatinee underscore ca, or facebook.com slash darkmatinee. Any final thoughts, Mr. Rattan? No, just go see Moonlight. Get a haircut. I, I will, actually. I need to, I need to do that. <laughs> I, I was thinking about that this morning. For Corey, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.